If you're new to Believer's Church, Roger was the lead pastor for 19 years. Uh, I worked as the executive pastor uh, for most of those. Uh, and Julia was born during that time. <laughs> she was a lot smaller, yes. Um, and so, uh, but both of them last, and so Roger's what we call our pastor at large. He's still one of the elders at Believer's Church, speaks into it. He's one of the guys I go to constantly because I need his friendship. Um, and last week, as you saw, if you were here, he was at Asbury at the outpouring with Pete Gregg, and so was Julia. So I asked them today just to share a little bit of what they experienced and make some main takeaways from that. So tell us what you experienced. Great. What an honor to uh, be with you today and bear witness to what God is doing, not only at Asbury, but uh, apparently all over, right? And, uh, and our hope is that he just continues to do it. Um, yeah, Pete and Julie and I flew in. We got in late Saturday night, and uh, our host said, hey, do, do you want to go over? And Pete, Pete had just flown over from the U.K., so he was wasted. But Julie and I said, sure, we want to go. So we walked into a packed auditorium, seven, 800 people at 12.15 at midnight, lines outside still of people still waiting to, to come in. And, uh, you know, we sing today the sound of heaven, touch, heaven touching earth. And I think that's, that's what it was. I was <laughs> the, the thing that kind of went in my mind was... Um, uh, that old U2 song, just a little rework. I, I think I found what I'm looking for, right, in this place. Because it was simple and pure and beautiful and holy. And, and there were no screens and there were no smoke machines. There was no, barely any amplification. At times you couldn't even hear the, you couldn't even hear the worship leaders, you know. The songs were just being carried in the room by the people. And, and there was just this ebb and flow and, and people were coming and going. There was, all, there was all kinds of commotion all over, but yet there was just something so sweet uh, about what God had, had done that all started um, after a, you know, just a, a regular run-of-the-mill chapel service, right? And uh, the speaker, Zach Meerkrebs, that day, who was a campus minister, and he said, you know, honestly, it just wasn't that great of a sermon. I didn't even prepare. I was kind of lazy. I'd preached a, a, a boatload of sermons in the last two weeks. And, and, uh, but some students gathered, and one student began just to pour out his heart to a group of students. And they began praying for him. The worship carried on. And we, we now have <laughs> officially the Asbury Revival. You can go on Wikipedia right now, and it's there, Right? And I just want to say, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we witnessed just so much beauty and, and so much power. Just, you know, we, wish, we witnessed this intergenerational working. And as impressive as what was happening in the front of the auditorium, equally impressive what, what was what was happening behind the scenes. The university staff... Uh, some trusted friends who had been invited in to help steward the, the, uh, this awakening and outpouring of students to come alongside and love and care and pastor and shepherd this beautiful movement, none of whom wanted 
uh, or needed recognition. And the only name I heard on that stage was the name of Jesus. And it was glorious. It was so wonderful to be part of a move of God where you didn't get a sense that someone was trying to market it or manipulate it or monetize it or make it something other than what it truly was, was just the outpouring of Jesus. And so this, it was filled with grace and love and, and beauty and, and holiness. And yet I was also aware of the great cost and sacrifice of so many people um, and mostly the older generation helping come alongside. There were mothers and fathers along the altar just praying for students and people who needed prayer, praying for people from all over the world. It was just beautiful and powerful. And so uh, my, I, I have so many takeaways, but here's a few of them that I just want to kind of le- leave with us. The thing that, I, as I've been reflecting on it, and challenge to me and challenge to you is just just to be hungry. Be hungry for more. Be hungry for awakening. Awakening and revival and reformation are part and parcel of our spiritual journey, right? And, and we have to have many awakenings in our lifetime. And awakenings are both personal and they're both communal and they're corporate. So be hungry, right? Tap in. That's all. The spiritual journey begins with our deepest desires and longing being expressed in prayer and worship and, and confession, right? Secondly, just be open. Be open to how it looks. It, it, it probably is not going to look like you think it, it's going to look, right? And, and that's okay. It's not going to look like the, the previous revival of 50, you know, however many years ago, Right? But be open. And then third, just um, be humble. This revival was marked by radical humility, guys, that was so beautiful and powerful. And I'm convinced was, was just part of the reason why God kept pouring out his grace on this place and space. And then uh, finally, just be filled, man. Just be filled. Jesus is coming. So be filled. He Jesus said, look, be like the wise virgin whose lamps are filled. And I was thinking about that today. Notice that, that he tells them to be filled while you're waiting for the Lord to come, right? So we're not waiting for the outpouring to fill us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit so we can wait for God to show up and be ready to respond to it, right? So um, anyway, glory to God. Uh, and uh, Julia? Yeah, that really sums it up really well. And I just think um, there's so much to say. And the Lord moved in amazing, amazing ways. And I think many of us have heard it said, like, what happened in Asbury was extraordinarily ordinary. It wasn't unique in much of a sense, except that there was incredible hunger that was met by just an outpouring of the Spirit. And I think that that's happening in so many of our communities that we go to where we see people on their knees just crying out for the Lord. And something that was really different was that people were just hearing about this. And it's just a testament to the real, the the harvest is ripe. There's so much hunger out there that people were flying across the world to get to this place where they heard that God was moving. One of the testimony times that they opened up, there was this couple from um, Chile. 
and they get up there, and there's, they're literally, a woman from the church is poorly translating for this couple, and they go, we sold our car to get here because we know that God is moving, and we know it's for the nations as well. And it's not to say that you have to sell your car to go meet God because God will meet you where you're at. But it's this sense of this hunger of what is the cost and what is your reward? And asking yourself, what is my true reward? And that's something that I was really faced with when I walked into that room was, wow, like it was just, it was so provoking of any pride in you that if you get that, it makes me think that if I can go into a church room or if I can go into an altar still carrying the pride and of like, oh, I want this ministry or I want this outcome that isn't just seeking the face of Jesus and I'm not really going and I'm not really encountering the true spirit of God because that is what it does. It reveals, it, it, like I all gave a sermon like two years ago and there was this one line that I love. It says, God's love reveals reality. And whenever you go into the presence of the Lord, his love strips away all of those other ulterior motives And so just asking, I've been asking myself, what is my reward? I can go, like, I want to do missions. If I can go onto the mission field and my goal is to see salvations and to see all these amazing things, those are amazing fruits. But my reward needs to be seeking his face and his presence. And that's what this really was summed up in, was people coming, putting aside all their other ulterior um, just rewards and all the other idols that we've been chasing after and saying, Jesus, I want one thing. And I want to seek your face. And as I was praying about what to share, I just felt like this verse, this actually was just like kind of last minute last night, but there's this picture I feel like the Lord is developing about how he is birthing something new in this generation. And it's not just for this generation, but there's a role to be played intergenerationally. And that was another really marking thing about this revival was the intergenerational um, unity where the mothers and fathers were coming and praying for their children and their children were praying for their mothers and fathers and there's wisdom and there's hunger and that needs to be it needs to come together so um it was in isaiah 66 um, and it's talking about jerusalem and it's this kind of metaphorical picture of labor before she goes into labor she gives birth before the pains come upon her she delivers a son Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice greatly with her. All you who mourn over her. And I just feel like this picture of what the Lord is doing in this time whenever we're met with unprecedented darkness and unprecedented um, just complete moral decay of a nation, the Lord is saying, we're coming to a point where I'm not going to withhold my spirit. These are laboring pains, and the Lord is going to move and birth a new thing. He's birthing a new thing in us. And it's, I think, for the the young generation, he's birthing this calling. It's a a restoration of calling, where there's this epidemic of of orphandom and loneliness and... um, and he's birthing a new calling. And out of that, I believe that there's going to be so many people also called into a missions, um, realize their calling in to the nations. 
and also for the, for the generations who have gone before us, that their prayers would be the ceiling, would be the floor, and that, that would be the ceiling for the next generation to continue. There needs to be this like spiritual motherhood and fatherhood where there's, there's this orphandom coming in to be able to work together as the body to see the Lord continue to move. So, um, yeah, that's just what we really, that, that was just what the Lord was, we were just seeing the Lord do. Isn't that great? So now, Raj, Roger, you told me there was a, so you were in leadership meetings, you know, you and Pete Gregg, but you told me there was a crazy moment where you, was it what, the former campus pastor, you realized that you guys had a connection, right, yeah. Yeah. to the previous revival. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah so... Um, this was a real convergence moment for me because uh, I grew up in the Northwest Texas Conference in Texas of the Methodist Church, and Asbury was the primary place where these young pastors would come and take these little churches in all these podunk towns of West Texas, and and one of them was mine, and, and the Lord brought people in the 1970s. There was another outpouring at Asbury. Asbury's had many revivals and outpourings, but in the 1970s, um, there was one that radically changed my my mom and dad were born again spirit filled they were uh, they were social christians they got changed um, these These young radical on fire pastors were coming out of this atmosphere of, of renewal and outpouring and changing their churches and they were hosting summer camps and and I was you know that was where the Lord called me into ministry was at one of these summer camps you know and so i 'm sitting in the room. Uh, with these, some of these other leaders just sharing a little bit of, of the legacy of Asbury and why this is so significant for me to be here in this moment. And this guy, this guy who was actually, he was the campus chaplain at the time. He looks over at me and he goes, are you Steve's brother? And I was like, yeah, who are you? You know, and, and this guy had grown up as a youth pastor and was part of one of my brother's fellowships down in Texas. And, and there was just this moment. He actually married my nephew. I was at the wedding. I couldn't remember. His, I, mean, I knew I knew his face. But so, he, and all of a sudden, man, he just started weeping. We all just started weeping because there was this moment of, of like connecting what God has done in previous generations to what's happening now. So it was beautiful. All right. So um, if you don't mind standing for a little longer, I didn't tell him I was going to do this to right then. So what's he going to say? No. Um, he could tell me no. You've told me no a lot of times. Um, <laughs> so this was a really wild week, guys. So, you know, um, last week, you know, Pete and Roger on the screens, we worshipped here till late uh, with worship leaders I've never seen before <laughs> that just started coming on stage. That was fun. And and then um, we ran up to, on Tuesday morning, the governor's prayer breakfast. Is that what it's called? It's, it's, so Governor Kevin Stitt, uh, four years ago, started this prayer breakfast. Just it, it happens at the beginning of the legislative session, at the beginning of each year. It's really pretty cool. And so uh, Pete Gregg was going to be the keynote, which was the reason he was coming to America at this. And so Roger was kind of 
you know, run, running shotgun, making sure Pete finds his way. And so, um, so John Free and I and Caleb Breedlove from T-Hop drove up there at a ridiculous time of the day. We 4.45 a.m. is when we left. It was horrible. Uh, there was not talking at all. Uh, but anyway, we get there, and it was extraordinary in that this room is packed. I would guess maybe a 1,000 people. It was, it was the Cowboy Hall of Fame, which is a great place to have prayer for some reason. I don't know. So there's guns. You've got to pray. Um, yeah, so, so it was really honestly very special. They had the, the, the main, uh, our federal representatives like James Langford and whatnot are there, all the House of Representatives. I don't know if they're all, this is a lot of them. You know, they came up on stage. There were pastors from all across the state uh, praying for each of these different legislative bodies. And then uh, Pete keynoted at the end. And, and, and I want to share what happened just because it was so significant. Um, I, I leaned over to Roger as Julia was speaking. I said, man, that's your baby. You know, and we're both kind of tearing up here just because, you know, what God did to kind of hit the gas in the 70s affected Roger's parents to, to go, as Haley talked about, Jesus. No, no cohabitation with anything else. I just want Jesus. That meant that Roger started experiencing Jesus in his generation and his brother and, and, and ended up, we got to benefit from your obedience and what Jesus did and catalyzed in the 70s at Asbury. Think about that for a second. That's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's, if you just trace historically, does this stuff matter? I don't know. It's pretty obvious what happened here. Um, and so Pete gave this sermon, and, and, and the sermon was an encouragement to the Oklahoma legislators uh, is remember the one. Uh, for all of us, when we're dealing with large groups of people, we can start to talk about numbers and demographics. And, and he said, but don't forget the one. And he, and, he, and he read from Luke 15 where Jesus talks about that the father's like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep that are okay and goes gets the one that's lost. And then he, 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 he brought us, remember Hacksaw Ridge? Remember that movie? Uh, where, where it's a true story where the one guy who only pacifist who have gotten a Congressional Medal of Honor for his service in the war, with just the way he kept on saving people was, God, let me get just one more, just one more. He could have stopped at 12, but he ended up with 75 men whose lives he saved because he paid attention to the one. But then this is where it went. Then Pete said, and Pete's in front of the governor, all the legislative houses, pastors and leaders across the state. He said, let me tell you a story about the one right here in Oklahoma. And he recounts the story of Anthony Nix's adoption. That, that, that there was a moment in which that the, the birth mom had gone missing and, and Roger and Donna could not adopt Anthony until they had her signature to release custody. And, and, and so all they knew is she'd gone to Oklahoma City. There was no phone, no way to capture, you know, any data on who this person is. And if you haven't heard this story, Roger literally gets in his car and says, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to print flyers that has this mom's picture on it. And I'm going to go to Oklahoma City and ask the Holy Spirit where to go. Oklahoma City is the second largest city in the United States in terms of land mass. This is a needle in a haystack. In short, the Lord leads, her, leads uh, Roger 
to a little white church. He's t- walking to people trying to tell, say, have you seen this person? No, but, no, I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her. And Roger, at this point, had been just saying, Holy Spirit, left, right? He's been doing this. And he meets the pastor, and, and he says, have you seen this lady? He goes, yeah, she was here today. Let me come and I know where she lives. In 30 minutes, found the birth mom. Going after the one. Now, here's the thing. How many of you have been here through most of the Anthony and Nick's journey? I mean, if you've been part of Believer's Church in this sanctuary, you have experienced Anthony at some point in your life. <laughs> Anthony's the greatest. Anthony happens to have some special needs that happened because of stuff that happened uh, when he was just a baby. Anthony has the best quotes ever. I remember either I was speaking too long or you were speaking too long. And, and on the front row, it, it was like we finished. He goes, finally! <laughs> Anthony says all the things we're thinking, but have the social cues not to say. Um, but, but guys, you need to understand the level of sacrifice. You talk about Jesus washing feet. I have washed these, I have watched these guys wash this child's feet day after day after day after day. And, and, and Pete finished by showing a big picture of Anthony smiling with his beautiful coiffed hair, you know. And, and John Free, of course, we're sitting there just shook. Um, Don and Roger are starting to melt, you know, their faces are melting. And, and John Free said, oh man, I remember a dream that, jo- that Roger had, and he wasn't sure what it was about, and he said, I felt like God gave me the interpretation. I said to Roger, you know, Roger, I think that means that you're going to spend your life on people that can never return the favor, but God is going to honor you from places of authority. We're in front of all the leaders of our whole state, the federal, and God's saying, look at my people. Look at my family. Look what they've done. So I just want to honor these guys for their obedience to the Lord. We're so grateful for you. In case you're nervous, I'm not going to give my sermon. Um, <laughs> Sam, get us all the way to that last slide that says communion, please. Um, Sam Westoff, if you can come up with, uh, you know, tinkle on the pearlies, that's what we say. <laughs> if you know what that means, play lightly on the piano. That's nothing about going to the bathroom. Um, Tim, Lucas, come on up. I, I was sitting there, Lord, what do you want to do here? And the Lord's just been throwing testimonies at me all morning. So this is how we're going to, if you could share that thing just about, because what we're going into is communion. Um, I'll get, I'll get, the sermon I wrote, it was so awesome. <laughs> it was so good. It's really, really simple. It's just fo- we focus on Jesus. What do we do in moments like this? We focus on Jesus. I might give it next week. We'll see. Um, 
John's, John's supposed to speak. He's like, that sounds like a really good idea. He's just, his head's going like this right now. Communion is Jesus gave us a centralizing moment to over and over again remember what is everything, what's this all about? Why are we alive? Why are we here? And it's through these words that Jesus said, or Paul said, I received this from the Lord, what I passed on to you, Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant, new relationship in my blood, new commitment between us in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All the stuff that Haley was talking about prophetically, all the stuff we're asking for, the redemption we're seeing, the being honored in front of people for years of investment into a young child, the, 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 the awakening that's happening around our nation and around the world right now is because Jesus, the Son of God, died for us. And he rose from the dead. And this central act that's already happened, we're not waiting on God to have a good mood. So he'll do something good for us. We're not even waiting on ourselves being pleasing to God. Because that's not enough. In fact, we can't do it. (coughs) It's that he's come to us to forgive us and accept us. And Tim just told me a story that I thought illustrated this so brilliantly, and I wanted him to share it. I love this guy. Love you so much, bro. You're so lucky. We're so lucky to have this man here as our pastor. Mm. We're to walk in the footsteps of Roger Nix, and then I just know him so well. I love you. Thank so you. thank you, bro. Thank you. And I just apologize up front to the manly men in here because I'm probably going to cry. So I understand your embarrassment, cringe. Um, I'll try. I, you know, I've stood here on the stage for years, man, and I've given my testimony so many times. And, uh, you know, in a nutshell, if you're like, who is this guy? I, they made me the worship pastor. I got to be the worship pastor here for over a decade. I, in my early 20s, I was in and out of prison three different times. Drugs and alcohol, pornography, sexual immorality. Just think of the worst. And there I am. There I was. And God just showed me incredible, incredible mercy to lift me up and and I feel like Paul, when he said that place, he said, I feel like you put the apostles on display last. It's like if you want a really uh, pitiful story, just ask Tim or anybody that has a, a relative in prison about or whatever. You go talk to Tim. I'm like, okay, yeah. So God's using me like that way. So a few weeks ago, there's a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was fasting uh, for something different than what ended up happening. Just so you know, I was really in an intense place and I was about to break my fast and I, I'm up in my studio and I've got years of, of worship services that we would record live here. And I had this folder of like years worth. And I just randomly, like about, I don't know, it was a 2015, I sent this to Roger, I forget what year, it was like a 2015 sermon or service out of February and I just start playing it. And I'm just listening to it and it's beautiful, Brooke, you're leading with me and it was a beautiful service. I listened to the whole thing and it gets to the end of the service and Roger comes up and he's given this beautiful word and it's just melting me. You know, I'm just like, Oh, but then this guy comes up and gives this word and he's, 
he starts this story. He says, I was during worship and I was singing and he starts singing. And he'd never done this before. And it's so funny because I met him this morning. I told him this story for the first time. Oh, really? this morning? I just told him. Okay. This. <laughs> this is crazy. And he's like, I was singing to Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. I'm sorry, Terry. That's what you sounded like. It's all about you. And I was like, whoa, dude, take the mic. But, and he was like, he was like, and then in the midst of this, I I saw Jesus coming towards me, singing in this operatic voice back to me. It's all about you. And in his sweet humility, he was, this is the word he's giving. I'm listening to this. I'm like, whoa. And he said, Jesus, no, 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 it's not about me. You've got the wrong man. You you don't know about my brokenness my darkness and and he says and i saw jesus just smiling ear to ear and he said i am so delighted in you for even your brokenness if you'll give it to me i'll make something beautiful out of it and i'm standing i'm sitting in my studio all alone and it just wrecked me man i was like oh jesus i just turn around and i've got this couch i just fell on my knees I was just down on my knees and I was just before I was just before Jesus. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do, Jesus. I want to just give you all of everything I have, all of my brokenness. And then I had this picture of Jesus was just standing there before me. And I was wanting to do this and I'm looking around for some object to represent, you know, my brokenness. I'm like, what can I give it to you? And I'm not seeing anything in this vision. And Jesus is just... He's just standing there smiling at me. He doesn't say anything. And I looked down and I realized that I was wearing it. That what all of the years of telling my testimony, what I thought was humility, I was just wearing guilt and shame. The guilt and shame of my past. And every time I came before the Lord, I was wearing it. And I saw that, I said, oh, Jesus. And I just held up my arms to him. And it was like in this vision, he just took this shirt off of me, this dirty shirt. And from that time, from that moment, it was such a revolution, Terry, that I realized that I was coming into agreement with lies, with thoughts about myself. And that Jesus wanted to take all of that away, that that's everything. When he says everything, Haley, amen, he wanted everything. And don't let anything in your past, nothing in your past is separating you from Jesus. Nothing. Because listen, you want to compare pasts, mine's probably worse, or at least as bad. And there's nothing in your past. There's nothing in your present that you've done that is so bad that could keep you from Jesus. But, th- but there's a lie that says, oh, you can't, you got that. You're messed up. You can't bring that. And Jesus is saying, I'm so delighted in you. If you will give me even your brokenness, I will take it and make it beautiful. And guys, he has the power and he has that much love to do just that. For you, because he did it for me. So, let's grab that element, if we could, please. You should have had one on your seat. So you can 
Tim, if you could grab on there, please. Thank you. We're going to take this together. His body broken for our brokenness. His blood shed for our sin. And I'm going to ask, actually, Tim to pray over us. And if that resonated with anybody, I know it resonates with me. Uh, while he prays, I just invite you to stand up as if Jesus were looking at you saying, I delight in you. Let me just take that off of you. Let me just take that off of you right now. Tim, will you pray for us that that very thing would happen in this moment as we take the body and bread? Yeah. Lord Jesus, we know that you're the Son of God that you're the Lamb of God, that you are victorious over sin, over death, over the grave, and that you are exalted to the right hand of the Father where you sit in authority over everything, over every power in the universe, on the earth and under the earth. That Jesus, you are the King of all kings. And what you say goes. And no one else, no matter what anyone else thinks, says, or does, Lord, rises above you you are above all and Jesus that you say if you're weary and burdened come unto me take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest Jesus I pray that anyone here that is walking under a load or a burden of lies that is being told to them either by themselves by someone else or by the enemy of our souls that Jesus we take authority right now with the weapons of our warfare that you say are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and for taking captive every thought that would exalt itself against you and we take captive those thoughts right now and we say lord jesus by your spirit come into our hearts every heart here that's in agreement with me right now by faith, Lord, I pray that you would remove that burden, that you would take that brokenness, that they would offer you freely right now, like desperate prisoners wanting to be set free, that Jesus, that they would offer their whole heart, their whole brokenness to you right now, Jesus, and that in the authority of your name, we take captive any thought that would rival that and say, no, that's not true. Lord, we don't agree with that. And we break agreement with every lying voice, every lying thought that would accuse us of anything we've done because of your blood, Jesus. Because your blood shed for our sins was enough. And it was finished when you said it is finished. And we say now to that sin, to that accusing voice, it is finished. In the name of Jesus. Let's go ahead and take the body. Let's just receive his healing. Receive his healing. Let's go ahead and take the cup together. Okay, so we're going to close this moment by praying for those who are far from God. And we're going to close it with a little testimony to lead us into this. 
This is Chad Shepard. He's one of our counselors among us and had a little story about Oikos Map Prayer. Yeah, so uh, I have a neighbor and um, yeah, I've tried to have like spiritual conversations, never went super well. So um, anyways, at the beginning when we started the Oikos Map, I added him and I've not been doing the best. I've definitely had days where I forgot or I missed or it's been rushed. So it's definitely not my performance that um, the Lord answered this prayer. But anyways, so not this last Friday, but the Friday before that, I was outside throwing the ball for my dog and my neighbor drives by and drives up in the, you know, I waved at him. He came to the uh, driveway and we started talking and he said, we were talking for a while just about different things. And He's like, I have a random question for you. I was like, okay. He's like, what do you think about cremation? And I was like, hmm. I mean, I don't haven't thought about that a lot. So, anyways, we talked about it a little bit, and because uh, he was talking about like in reference to like you know scripture and as a Christian, what I thought about it. So, I mean, I didn't really have a lot of answers. We just kind of processed it, and then it was the next random question he had that I was just like, wow, God, like you're showing off now, because um, he was like. I have another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. And this neighbor, he's never brought up spiritual questions or conversations. That's why it was like, oh my goodness. He was like, what do you think about baptism? And, and the reason is because the Wednesday night before in Foundations in the gospel class that we're in, the whole thing was on baptism. So we had literally just finished talking about baptism. And when he asked me that, I was like, oh, Wow. And inside, I was, like, just going crazy, but I tried to, like, stay cool, you know, and, like, you know, that's a good question. Um, And so we started talking about it, you know, and it was just, it was so refreshing um, because that door is open now, you know, now we can have those conversations. And that's what I said. I was like, you know, we just talked about this on Wednesday night. That's pretty amazing. Um, And so it was just incredible to see God take my pitiful efforts in praying my Oikos map and like have my neighbor somehow thinking about this baptism. We were talking about it Wednesday night and then he comes to my driveway and asks me this random question about, you know, he's been thinking about baptism and, you know, and so yeah, it was just super encouraging to me and hopefully that will encourage some of you all. We're praying for the one, right? We're praying for the one, the Tim Lucas, the Anthony Nix, the Gail Smith. Okay? So if this is new to you, this people in your relational network you know are far from God, we're just saying a simple prayer midday each day. And so let's pray it out loud together right now. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Be blessed to go and serve Jesus this week. We love you. Have a great week.